editor for MedTech Insight, and I have the great pleasure to sit down with Brittany Borredo, who's the CEO and founder of FemHealth Insights. She also hosts the FemTech Focus podcast. Hi, Brittany. It's so nice to sit down with you. We are here at South by Southwest in Austin, and literally we're just like a few hours away from this wonderful panel discussion with Jennifer Fried and Kimberly Fields Ayers, where we talked about the one trillion dollar femtech industry. So, how do you feel? I feel on fire. I feel excited. The energy is real. South by Southwest kicked off today. We were part of the one of the first sessions to start the whole conference. So, there's no better way to start a South by conference without talking about the thriving femtech market. Yeah, and it was such a pleasure moderating it. You guys were so dynamic and vibrant. I really appreciate well, it. Well, you did, you especially. <laughs> I just, I just, I love to talk about it. <laughs> so, your passion for femtech and women's health is so obvious. So, let's talk a little bit about how you became the founder of Fem Health Insights. First, you were the co-founder of Coyote Ventures. Let's mm -hmm. go back a little bit in time and even talk about you know, how you became so passionate about women's health and yeah. bringing people together in your companies. So, um, a little backstory here. I have a PhD in molecular and human genetics. And so, while uh, working on my PhD, I realized that I had uh, too much personality to work in a lab my whole life and started to investigate other career tracks. And one of those tracks was entrepreneurship. And I had always had this crazy idea for a DNA-based dating app where I would match singles based on a cheek swab that looked at genes that can predict attraction through pheromones. And so uh, that was actually my first startup. It was called Pheromore. That's amazing. Yeah. I want to hear more about okay. that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so how did that go? Tell me about that. Yeah. So Pheromore uh, was a company I fundraised for and built and scaled. And so we had at one point 30,000 singles on the app, uh -huh. um, matching singles based on this DNA test that we created. Uh, we actually just got issued a patent this year for something we filed for that company. We had uh, created an algorithm to predict your personality type from your DNA as well to try to match people based on like a like team building tests, but based on genetics. Mm -hmm. So lots of really fun stuff. I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of successes. It was you know my first time. I was young and hungry, ambitious, and but the reason I kind of bring us all the way back there is not just for the entrepreneurship and my science background, but something I was really mm, disturbed by is that the science has shown that based on the genetics of attraction, uh, when a woman is pregnant uh, or has high progesterone, she's actually attracted to a different subset of genes. So evolutionarily, women, when we were cave women and cave men, cave women looked for the most diverse cave man to mate with. But what mm -hmm. happens is after a woman is pregnant, her progesterone spikes, she actually is more attracted to similar genetics. So evolutionarily, it's it's almost like the cave woman wanted to needed to go back home while pregnant to have the birth with her tribe versus this other tribe that she mated with, right, for genetic diversity. Yeah. So, okay, why am I telling you all this? Because... They've shown in studies that women on birth control are attracted to similar genetics uh, versus the opposite genetics, which is what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be attracted to someone with very different DNA from you because it means your babies would be healthier. But when women are pregnant and or on birth control, which is essentially assimilating a pregnancy, you know, that's what birth control pills does. It tells your body like, oh, you're pregnant, don't release an egg. Women are attracted to similar genes. 
And so in the app, we actually had to ask females, are you on a hormonal birth control? Yes mm-hmm. or no? Because it literally changed the algorithm 100%. And I just, that was like my first awakening to like, well, this is crazy. Like, are birth control yeah. pills affecting divorce rate? Because eventually these women will fall in love with someone, get off the birth control, have a kid, and then maybe one day wake up and say, who the heck am I married to? I'm not attracted to you at all. But maybe it actually all like came back to the hormones and the genetics and the birth control. So it was my first like time really diving into like, huh this doesn't seem right and it might be messing us up and yeah it was just like a really interesting first step for me to realize there was a lot of um, misunderstandings about female health and the consequences of things like daily hormone intake. So interesting. So is that app still available? I'm just curious. Yeah, and it's not. It's not. Unfortunately, um, iOS App Store kicked us off the App Store in 2018. Uh, They created some new policies around who can ask for DNA in the App Store. And as a geneticist, I actually thought it was really smart of them to do that because eventually, not yet, but in the far future, there's going to be crazy people who make an app and say, send me your spit, and they're going to do some crazy CRISPR in their garage, right? Like, But that's not happening just yet, but I, I can appreciate Apple's foresight in trying to make some policies around who can ask for your genetic information. I get it. Unfortunately for us, dating was like one of the categories they were like, no. So we got kicked off the App Store, and uh, investors want an app on the App Store (laughs) to invest in. And so my next round of funding fell through, and I ended up closing the company. Okay. So that was my first endeavor. Uh, After that, I got recruited into venture capital, and I worked at Capital Factory, the most active fund in Texas, and I launched their Houston branch. And we're in Texas right now. Capital Factory is right down the street. That's, uh, you know, where I started to learn about venture capital and the power of the investor, you know. As a founder, you have one product or service, but as an investor, you can invest and empower dozens of products and services. So I really, I really liked that angle. And then I start, uh, discovered this industry called Femtech. So Femtech is innovation in women's health and wellness. And I just thought it was the most important thing in the world. You know, it's, it has a lot of biology and science, hormones, genetics, life cycles, you know. So, like, the scientist in me just loves Femtech. Um, and then the activist, the feminist in me also loves Femtech. Now, did you discover Femtech through your work at Capital Factory or was... Yeah. I think it was kind of like I was... Um, I must have come across it, like just reading, because the word had only been coined in 2016, so it's still very new, and uh, I just, I had actually was mentoring a few femtech startups and found myself very gravitated towards their companies versus other companies, Yeah. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to get a job at a femtech fund, that's what I'll do, I'll become a venture associate at a femtech fund. At the time, which is 2019, there was only one fund in the world (laughs) investing in femtech, and that was Portfolia, which Jennifer Freed was yeah. actually one of the partners at who was on our panel earlier. And I was like, this is crazy. There's only one fund investing in Femtech. So I thought, okay, I'll get a job at an accelerator. I looked, I looked, I looked. There was no such thing as a Femtech accelerator. Hmm. Today, there's four in the world. Um, also, by the way, today there's six venture funds specifically focused on Femtech that have all, um, all but one formed in the last uh, three years. Yeah. So huge, huge growth, huge movement. But for me, I was like, what? Where? What? Where's the center of gravity of Femtech? Like, yeah. what's happening? Where do I get info? Another thing is I couldn't find a list of companies. I could not find any data on who was in the space, who was investing, who was successful. People were telling me, like, oh, well, Femtech is very niche. 
femtech you know needs an exit to be respected and i was like i feel like there must have been some women's health companies that have exited been acquired ipo'd whatever and um led me down a rabbit hole of my own little research and realized wow there is a gaping hole here of lack of infrastructure for foundation for innovation in women's health yeah. but there's nothing helping anyone like we have no idea what's happening we need to coagulate this group so i uh started with a podcast so that was another thing i looked for and couldn't find was a podcast and so uh march 2020 i was thinking about doing a podcast and then yeah. march 2020 happened i said okay well if i have to sit at home and i in my studio apartment I might as well like zoom record people interview and throw them on Spotify who knows maybe if it's just for me whatever but within a few weeks I had a few thousand listeners and so talk countries. a little bit about the people that you're interviewing talk a little, how many people have you interviewed so far? oh my gosh actually see, March 15th is our 200th episode Wow 200 yeah episodes. 200th episodes on March 15th I'm very excited about that so we interview scientists researchers we interview you know clinicians doctors but definitely also investors and founders and um, I like to say that it's a little bit inspired by how I built this you know I want to hear the story of how people got there but also it's a it's dive into the condition or the problem that that person is solving so you know so much of women's health is just a big black box of misunderstanding women themselves don't know what's happening and so we cover things like what is endometriosis right and not just okay what's the market size how many women are affected but uh, but also like how do women get diagnosed with it and finding out there is no diagnostic test there's only exploratory surgery that is 50% of the time inconclusive and it's like that's our diagnostic is somebody cutting you open and looking around and 50% of the time they shrug and say sorry I'm not sure I didn't see anything yeah. you know it's like that doesn't sound like an effective strategy at all and so we talk about things like that and then the innovation what's happening because I'm very um, as you know from the panel I always like to make sure we're talking about the opportunity here and not just the like the lack of instead say sure there's a lack of let's set the ground you know work here but let's talk about the opportunity so I interview people who are innovating in things like diagnostics for endometriosis who are inventing genetic assays that you know a woman if she complains like her periods are very heavy it's a simple swab in the office that could actually look at uterine cells and predict your endometriosis status mm -hmm. um, so that's those are the kinds of people I'm interviewing we also like to cover topics that people don't really think about we have um, an episode coming up about uh, women's health that are incarcerated what oh, do you know what do pregnant women in jail prison do like where do they where does their baby go do they breastfeed do they even have the option to breastfeed do they get menstrual products like what does that look like how many listeners do you have Oh, we, at this point, I think we have about 85,000 downloads of the show. Yeah. In about 120 countries. Wow, that's a lot. A lot. We have every continent except Antarctica. <laughs> so before we go into Fem Health Insights, what's your plan for the podcast for this year? Oh, I, the podcast is just a, an amazing platform for authentic oh. conversations sometimes hard conversations too we talk about data privacy after Roe v. Wade yeah. you know we talk about um, black maternal mortality sometimes it's really hard topics that we're talking about but need to happen but we also um, you know I look forward to covering topics like how women are activating and getting together to provide access to abortion or you know again I'm always looking for like okay this is not good 
<laughs> but what are we going to do about it? So Femtech Focus was the podcast, and then it turned into a virtual community with a big newsletter. And what happened was I found myself knowing a lot about the Femtech world. In fact, there's... And then I found out I'm one of very few people who knew what the heck was happening in femtech. And so in 2022, last year, I started to get outreached by large pharmaceutical companies, large biotech companies, large banks, large private equity firms saying, hey, we heard you uh, know what's happening early stage women's health. We want to know, can you consult us? And so actually I thought at first I was just going to be kind of freelancing on the side. Yeah. And I quickly realized these were way bigger projects than one woman could do. And that's really where I realized, oh my gosh, all this work I've done over the last three and a half years of building the community, you know, understanding the industry, telling the story of it, growing awareness and momentum of it, that now I sit perfectly to ho- have a consulting firm. And so that's what Fem Health Insights is. It's a boutique consulting firm specializing in women's health innovation. So we help large companies on their women's health strategy, whether that be they're just starting one or they're doubling down or they're you know uh, diversifying it. Uh, we help them with that. And one of the unique things we have is er- access to early femtech startups and so we really specialize what we're finding is a lot of our requests right now are for acquisition and investment into early stage femtech companies yeah so that's really great for founders right i cannot wait until i help my first m&a my first like <laughs> femtech founder gets acquired it's going to be amazing i'll be potentially as happy as that founder is um because i really you know at the end of the day my goal is to improve women's health through innovation and technology. Yeah. I didn't go down the route of creating a specific product. Instead, I went down the route of I'm going to empower the founders that have the products and I'm going to connect them to the opportunities in the world. Talk a little bit about the database that you've created of these startup companies. And then I also would like to dive into the annual landscape report that you put out on Femtech. That's really interesting. So highlight about that for the upcoming report that you'll be publishing. So, yeah, let's start off with the database. Cool. So one of the things we realized was, um, you know, some people, the consulting, I always like to think about it as if that the company already has a question and they want to answer to it. The database is really great for people who are like, we don't even know where to start, right? And so what we're building is essentially the Femtech version of PitchBook or a Femtech version of Crunchbase. It's an online software that people, companies can buy a license to, an annual license, and they will get access to our insights and database of over 1,500 Femtech startups in the world. We are constantly updating it. We have analysts that are moderating the internet, looking at events, going to pitch competitions, finding companies at the earliest stage, still potentially in academia, you know, as ideas. And we're recording it into our database. We record things like finance, so funding rounds, grants. We also record things like major milestones that are important to the company, not only patents, but also FDA approval or clinical trials because companies that actually want to acquire uh, early stage startups, they want to make sure that these startups have done the, the due diligence, the work themselves of proving that their product is safe and effective. So we, we monitor things like that. And the, the unique part about it is that we have a whole hierarchy of tagging. So when you go to something like a pitch book or, you know, even just online, you can, you can search Femtech and potentially there's this 
you know, database out there that has a few hundred companies in it, but you still have to scroll through and then dive in deeper, but manually. Mm-hmm. So what I'm, what I'm talking about is that we've established a set of proprietary uh, tags that you can then go into our platform and say, yes, I'm interested in women's health, but I'm specifically interested in fertility and I'm specifically interested in diagnostics for fertility. And so you can actually use those. uh, We have drop down filters and you can filter by women's health vertical. So menopause, menstruation, breast health, uterine health, bone health, brain health, heart health, all of these categories. Um, I think we have about 111 conditions that we're tracking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then you can also filter by product type. So a lot of people think, you know, women's health, isn't that just period trackers and medical devices? And it's like, yes, and much more. It's consumer packaged goods. It's, you know, healthcare software that's helping physicians with manage their patient count, you know, in the uh, maternity ward. It's therapeutic drugs, you know, it's alternative drugs. It's, it is tampons, tampons and uh you know, our medical device actually. Um, so there's just a wide range of product types, so you can filter based on that as well. So that's really our strength. And you license that database, right? So can yeah, you talk so about who the customers are at this yeah, point? Yeah, the customers are usually business development or corporate investors from large companies. So we are getting a lot of interest from pharmaceutical companies, a lot of interest from large biotech and medtech companies. Um, It's usually in the departments of business development. So they're trying to either create a new solution or, you know, uh, advance what they're currently offering. You know, one thing we get a lot of is companies coming to us saying, oh, we made this menopause solution and women aren't buying it. And I'm like, okay, well, let me see your marketing material. And it's all like little old women, you know, and it's like menopause. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. And that, and that's where we come in because we come in and we say, Hey, did you know women do not know their menopausal until at least three, on average, three years into perimenopause? And so if your product says, this is a menopause solution, you're missing three years worth of a consumer because she doesn't identify with being yeah. a menopausal woman. So, but if you say hormonal or if you say 40 plus, are you a 40 plus woman struggling with you know, weight gain? You're going to have a heck of a lot more sales, even though what you're really saying is menopause. So last year you put out the Femtech Focus um, annual landscape report, yeah. and you're putting out one this year. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the, the landscape. Of what are the most promising products, the most popular products, the ones that have the highest growth, and then also on their clinical needs? Okay. We've seen so much growth in the Femtech industry. In fact, in the report, I think we say that there's been about, uh, in the last decade, over 700% growth in startups being founded in Femtech. That is insane amount of growth Um, and then we go into showing people what verticals these companies are working on so of the 1500 companies we have in our database where what is the distribution who's working on maternal health uh, menstruation you know bone health brain health heart health yeah break down the subsectors a little bit for audience yeah sure so I mean you can think about thing uh, femtech in the categories as uh, things that solely affect females, disproportionately affect females, or differently affect females. And so um, uh, almost all conditions can be considered femtech in one way or another, um, but we are really focusing on things that um, you have your obvious solies, right? So you have your menopause, your menstruation, maternal health, breastfeeding, pelvic floor therapy, things that people have kind of known already to be women's health issues, previously called bikini medicine, 
glad we're moving on from that phrase. Um, but then we also incorporate verticals that are things that are disproportionately or differently affecting women. So we have things like heart disease. The way heart disease manifests in a female is different than in males. And so therefore the treatment for that or the diagnosis of or monitoring of that heart disease in that patient needs to be different based on the sex of the patient. Um, another one is bone health. Uh, we all know women are higher risk of osteoporosis because of our decreased estrogen after menopause um, really diminishes our bone regeneration. But yet, uh, we, there is like a bone density scanner, but women are often told like, oh, you don't need that till you're 60. Did you know that uh, one third of all women by the age of 60 will have a broken hip? Yeah. That is insane. That's, for, that's a big bone. That's a really important bone. And so, uh, you know, just um, trying to persuade the healthcare system to realize, like, these things need to be sooner. Like, we should not be putting women off. Uh, chronic conditions, so chronic pain, autoimmune diseases, certain kind of cancers. You obviously have your female-specific cancers, like ovarian, cervical, uterine. But there are also a lot of consequences of the treatment of cancer that are female-specific. So, um, you know, the a lot of times chemotherapy will actually induce menopause. And so you, here we are again, right? Yeah. You have things that say, are you menopausal? That The woman who is a 34-year-old breast cancer survivor may not identify that with that. But if you're, you have a solution for um, vaginal atrophy, which is, you know, uh, leads to things like uncomfortable sex or inability to insert a tampon, that is affecting the woman who had radiation treatment on her cervix. Yeah. Um, you know, or the woman who's a breast cancer survivor. She had, potentially has, you know, that chronic pain or neuropathy. So women's health or femtech per se wasn't even on the radar until a few years ago. Yeah. Like you would go to conferences and never discuss. Never. Right? So what are some of the growth drivers that, that it's mm. on the forefront now? And yeah. you see so many panels at, at conferences like we are here in Austin, right, at South by Southwest. Yeah. So I think there's four main drivers. I'll list them and then I'll tell you a little bit more about each one. So women in STEM, women in finance, uh, women in the workforce, and decreased stigma. So the first driver is women in STEM. What we find is that when women are researchers or engineers or in medicine, they predominantly uh, gravitate towards creating solutions for females. And so as we see women getting college educations, master's degrees, doctorate degrees, entering STEM fields, if they themselves are experiencing an issue, for example, many um, fertility company founders or scientists who they themselves were working on hormones in a laboratory and then they had infertility and then they had to go through IVF and they just knew, I, I literally work in a laboratory, I could do these tests faster and better. And so there's these female scientists are oh, making new tests. Yeah. They're making new at-home diagnostics, you know? Okay. Um, and so women in STEM is a big driver of the innovation of, you know, and we see that in the, the gender and sex of founders in Femtech. Over 80% of our founders are female. Why is that? Well, women in STEM are creating solutions mm. for women. The second one is women in finance. So investing is, I always like to say, one part logic, one part emotion. And so if, you know, if you're only pitching to male investors about why, you know, women need a certain solution, like some kind of 
breastfeeding pump, you know, the male investors who may have not experienced breastfeeding themselves and may, maybe they don't have any kids. They haven't witnessed their wife. Maybe they're not married. Maybe they're gay. I don't know. Usually men don't understand the full struggle of the breastfeeding journey. And so when you're pitching this problem, these male investors, they're looking for the numbers, right? That's the logic part, the business model, the market size, the value profit margins, but then there's also the emotional part. You have to be really excited about a deal. And when you're going to male investors uh, trying to solve heavy menstrual bleeding, they don't feel very inclined to jump up and say, this is revolutionary. And, and they certainly don't go home or go to the bar or go play golf with their VC friend, angel investor buddies and say, you've got to check out this, you know, pelvic organ prolapse, like vaginas are in inverting out of women and like well, their go-to excitement. It's crypto and Mars and, you know, future yeah. clean tech. And so women in finance is a really critical point because especially when you're at the early, early, early stage and you don't have the data, you don't have the profit margins yet. You just, you have an idea, you have a hypothesis. You need someone who believes in it who, to mm -hmm. potentially make a solution for it. So third is women in the workforce. 46% uh, of the workforce now is female in the United States. Women's health is affecting companies' bottom line. When half of your workforce is not feeling well, when they're getting breast cancer, when they're missing three days a month of work because they have endometriosis, when they have you know chronic migraines, that is affecting their bottom line. And uh, they now health benefit programs that employers are starting to really buff up on their female-specific solutions to offer to their female employees. Yeah. Obviously, I'd like to think that this is just out of the goodness of their heart. But, you know, if you're really looking down at the economics and the like social parameters influencing the rise of femtech, this is definitely one of them. And then last but not least is the decreased stigma. If you look at like hashtag PCOS or hashtag endometriosis on uh, TikTok, there are literally billions of views of those. Mm -hmm. And when women see that one in 10 women have endometriosis, they all of a sudden feel a little less lonely. They feel a little less isolated. I'm actually glad that you brought this up because now we're talking about one of the biggest unmet clinical needs. And there are several that you've also identified in the landscape report, mm. right? So let's talk about those areas, unmet clinical needs, and then biggest opportunities. Mm. Yeah, two of the biggest verticals that we found were really in need of innovation is menopause and mental health. So menopause is something that, you know, not every woman will be pregnant, but every woman will go through menopause if she lives long enough. And so, um, and for those who, you know, may be thinking menopause is just like old woman syndrome, menopause is the uh, not having your period for exactly one year. So prior to that one year date, you are perimenopausal, and women can be in perimenopause for up to a decade, 10 years. Um, and that age of uh, that, the day, the day of which you have 365 days without a period, that day is your menopause day. Yeah. So I actually wish that we actually celebrated women's menopause day like a birthday, you know? And then after is postmenopause, right? And so you have different complications you're dealing with peri and postmenopausal. So perimenopause, there's over uh, 34 symptoms affecting women, ranging from hot flashes, brain fog, mood swings, irritability, uh, vaginal dryness, weight gain, and all of this has to do with the fluctuating hormones. So she no longer has her regular cycle going on. Instead, her cycle is kind of like um, you know, I think about it like kind of a car, like trying to start, not sure if it's going to start or not. So it's 
you know, the hormones are still trying yeah. to figure itself out. And then postmenopause, that's really when you're dealing with the very low estrogen and all the effects that come from that. The weight gain, the bone density uh, disintegration. Uh, we have to do more research to see all the other effects. I'm, I'm you know, pretty sure there's probably an uh, effect on heart disease, brain health, stroke. We still don't know why females disproportionately have Alzheimer's. Who knows? One of the kind of status quo situations was that women just basically were told you just need to write it out. Or just they right didn't out. know in which stage they were in. Oh, right? yeah. So there's this tremendous need to actually find solutions to help these women. That's right. Not suffer. That's right. Silently. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and just that, that decreased stigma again, you know, we're finally starting to talk about it. We have enough women in positions of power because we've been working so hard on diversifying the boardroom and getting female founders and female executives. All of that is crap if women don't feel well and can't show up, you know. Um, so what are your big plans for the rest of this year now that you decided, okay, I'm going to dive into this mm -hmm. consulting business? Yeah. Do you have medtech lines since we are a medtech publication? So I'd like to hear about where the opportunities are in medtech. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest opportunities in medtech is diagnostics for women. So often we are relying on physicians believing women as they, female patients, as they describe their symptoms. And Uh, there is a very real problem of medical gaslighting. There was a report on this in New York Times, essentially that the rate of, you know, uh, when a female patient says, hey, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z, you know, heavy menstrual bleeding, or my cramps seem really bad, or I, I keep getting these headaches, there is the uh, medical gaslighting phenomenon right now, which is the doctor saying, well, that sounds normal for your age. Well, yeah, you're menstruating. Of course you have cramps. Or, you know, oh, you have headaches? Just take an Advil. Or, oh, you have low sexual desire? Take a vacation. Maybe you're just stressed. And that is not only insulting to female patients, but it's unhelpful. Mm -hmm. And women will have to go years without a diagnostic of, you know, yes, you actually have sexual dysfunction and you should be on this medication, you know, or you have, you know, chronic migraines and you need, you know, and it's because of your hormones. So you actually need HRT, you know, hormone replacement therapy, who knows, but we can't get there if we're just relying on doctors believing us well enough or for the patient to be in enough pain that the doctor's convinced they should do exploratory testing. Yeah. So instead, what I say from the med tech world is please, please, please find a diagnostic test for these things. So, you know, my, my favorite one right now to tell people about is, um, well, there's actually two I can tell you about. The first is Hera Biotech. So Hera Biotech is uh, a diagnostic for endometriosis. They're entering clinical trials. And what they've done is they uh, take cells from the inner uterine lining in office, so not in a surgery, like just at your regular gynecologist's office, you get this, this cell sample taken, um, and they are doing genetic analysis, and this company, Hera Biotech, found that a certain subset of genes are overactivated, overexpressed in women with endometriosis, and, under and there is a subset of genes that are underexpressed. And so they even found, this, and this is crazy, right, like no one knew this, They actually found that the longer you have endometriosis, the worse those genes are either over or underexpressed. And so you can actually stage endometriosis. 
So you can have a stage one or stage four, which is insane because before we didn't think about it like that. You either had it or you didn't. And if you had it, just take birth control to not have your period and then you're cured, you know? But this is an actual test for what progression are you at, what stage are you at, what the best treatment would be because a stage one patient may just need, you know, a change in diet or, you know, a very light hormonal birth control. Stage four may be, yeah, you do need a hysterectomy. Another med tech innovation that would be really interesting for your readers and listeners is medical devices to support the uh, already existing process of different surgeries. So what do I mean by that? Uh, For example, there's a company called Molly Surgical, M-O-L-L-I-E Surgical, and what they've done is women that are suspected of having a lump in their breast uh, and they need a biopsy, what these women are asked to do is go to the hospital very early in the morning and get the radiologist to identify where the lump is in the breast. And what they do is they actually stick this metal string into her breast on the side of it and at the end is integrated into the center of the lump. And this is so that the surgeon, when they go in for the biopsy, can easily find it. Because when you're in surgery, you're, you don't want to just chop up the breast and look around. You want to know like, okay, that's exactly where it is. And this yeah. wire is showing me where it is. But these patients, after they get their wire inserted, they have to wait around for the surgeon to be done with all their OR for the day because she is not an emergency. You know, she is there for a biopsy to check if it is cancer. Yeah. And so these women will have to stay at the hospital all day with this wire hanging out of their breast and they can't really move around. Molly Surgical said, that's insane. Why don't we just put a little uh, magnetic bullet, essentially, punch it into it, punch it into the center of the lump, and then the woman can actually even go home. So they've shown that the women can actually have it for three days. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so highly innovative, right? Highly technical. So those two examples of med tech innovation and femtech that, I mean, these are billion dollar opportunities with billing codes, with many millions of women and doctors waiting on these types of solutions to be created. Yeah. Plans for the rest of this year to grow your consulting business. Grow the consulting business. If you have have a women's health goal or question or project we would love to be involved um, we are also launching our platform this summer so the fem health insight software where people can a- purchase a license and then get access to all of our data that that's launching this summer as well you also give free access to certain individuals correct so we give free access to the platform to all fem tech founders so if you are innovating in women's health we do provide free access because i believe in, you know, providing data to the companies at the earliest stage trying to innovate. Mm-hmm. So let's get a little bit more personal. <laughs> so tell me about your upbringing and where do you live right now? I know that you are a big dog lover. I am. I love dogs. <laughs> yes. I am um, from New Jersey originally Okay. Um, and born and raised there. And I um, actually hated science, <laughs> believe it or not. In eighth grade, uh, we had geology, and we were learning about rocks and elements, and did it. I almost failed, and I, I can literally remember 12-year-old Brit telling my mom, like, I hate science. I hate science, I hate science, I hate science. Uh-huh. Turns out what I hate is rocks. I hate rocks. <laughs> because the next year... In eighth grade, we learned about cellular biology and mitochondria and the nucleus and the DNA. And I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. So it turns out I just hate rocks. So sorry to all the geologists (laughs) out there. Keep doing your thing. I'm not interested in coming over there. So fell in love at that point. I actually thought I wanted to be a genetic counselor because I'm very personable, like a lot of emotional 
EQ and you know, uh, in college, I shadowed a genetic counselor for the day. So we went to Drew University, small liberal arts school in New Jersey, and I found a local hospital. They had a genetic counselor, shadowed them for the day, and they spent their day. And, you know, honestly, looking back, I'm like, oh, my God, it's all femtech. It all led to this yeah. moment. But uh, the genetic counselor was telling these pregnant women that their unborn child was incredibly sick and that they had to make a plan, you know, like three of the five appointments that day was like should you you know get an abortion should you do this what do you need to prepare for the sick baby that's coming and I thought this is literally the most saddest job in the world I cannot do this job and so I got real nervous about all my choices in life and was like what am I doing decided to do an internship in a laboratory and turns out I have a knack for laboratory my hand eye coordination is pretty good and so yeah. you know when you're doing experiments you need to be good with your you know glassware and all that stuff even then I kind of knew like I like this but I cannot work in a sterile lab hood my whole life like I, I already kind of knew that but decided to go forward with that PhD went to uh, Baylor College of Medicine in Houston Texas uh, yeah. where I lived for about eight years and uh, I studied um, stress-induced mutagenesis so essentially when a cell is under stress it increases its mutation rate on purpose in order to mutate and hopefully become evolutionarily fit for that stressful environment and so uh, a real-life example of what we studied is antibiotic resistance. So when we have a bacterial infection, we take antibiotics, those drugs stress out the bacteria we have, and the bad bacteria, and probably ours too, but we were focused on the bad ones. The bad ones would increase their mutation rate, become resistant, get a mutation that made them resistant to the drug. And so the idea was, well, if that's the case, like the bacteria weren't mutating prior to the drug, it was the stress from the drug that made them mutate, what if we could figure out how a cell knows it's stressed or how it turns on its mutations because then we could potentially make an anti-evolution drug that we give people. So we give them an antibiotic and an anti-mutation, anti-evolution drug. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we're stressing out the bacteria, but they can't mutate. They can't, no, yeah. And so what I did was I discovered a small RNA in E. coli that if you removed it from the genome, um, the cells could not mutate anymore. Uh -huh. And so an, another idea of this is potentially an anti-evolution vitamin for humans because this is essentially the same thing for cancer. Cancer is, and skin cancer is the best example of this, UV radiation stressed out the cells so much that they increased their mutation rate. Somebody got a mutation that was cancerous and it becomes out of control. So what if we could take a daily anti-evolution vitamin that says, hey, I know, you know, this human body you're in is... Uh, you know, they're in the sun, they're in tanning booths, they don't eat well, they're super stressed, like all these things don't mutate though. Yeah. Yeah. So where are we in that spot? <laughs> no. Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because it's actually the reason I really wanted to go to something like entrepreneurship because where, where we're at is like still at the basic scientific research. Can you talk about, you know, some people who've impacted you in your career or just in your choices in life? Mm, yes. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to the Rotary Club and uh, in high school I was admittedly in a really bad situation. I was not in a very safe or healthy home setting and uh, the Rotary Club came to my high school 
and told the students about this foreign exchange program where you could actually go to another country and live for a year and it would be on their dime. So they've been doing rotary exchange for like 50 years. Hundreds of thousands of students have gone on these on these programs. For a year I lived in France oh. and I lived with a, a host family. I lived in Fontainebleau. It's just south of Paris. Uh-huh. Yep. So I learned French and I made lots of friends, lifelong friends. And that French family, I, I call them my French family, you know, and they call me Petit Brit, you know, Little Brit. Um, So that was really beautiful. And I'll forever be very grateful to Rotary for that experience, because I really think that on my like applications to college really helped me get in. And then at Drew University, there was a woman named Carla who worked in the the student center. And uh, she met me at some program one weekend, saw me being, you know, helpful and kind. And she said, where are you applying to college? And I said, I don't know. And she said, you should apply to Drew and let me know when you do. And I applied and I let her know. And not only did I get into Drew, but I got a very large scholarship, which really was the only reason I was able to go to Drew. Otherwise, I mean, I still owe six figures in student debt, and so I can't even fathom what my student debt would be like without that scholarship. So I felt like there's been so many times. Dr. Das was my academic advisor. Roger Knowles. There's all these people that kept seeing me. Jack Gill. He's a famous retired venture capitalist in Houston. And when I got Jack Gill's check, everyone else wanted in on my round, you know? But it was like Jack saw something in me simply because I was just shining my light unintentionally just the way I do you know but people see it and, and they latch onto that and I my goal for Fem Health Insights is that one day we're so successful that we are setting up STEM scholarships for girls to go to you know summer camps if they if their families can't afford it or college scholarships for STEM or early stage grants for startup ideas in yeah. women's health I'm, I'm really excited to give back you know give back all the things all the little steps all the little people that saw me each time and said hey kid I'm going to give you a chance and then I took it and I ran with it till the next one that is so awesome I really hope that comes true for you sooner rather I know I love it too okay just to wrap up where do you live now oh yeah what do you like to do when you're not doing women's health which I almost can't imagine Yeah, I'm pretty fun at parties. I definitely still talk about a clitoris <laughs> really? and vulva. No. Like, yeah, yeah, it's really fun. Like, fun fact, everybody. Did you know a woman's orgasm? Yeah. But I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I made a pandemic move, as many of us did. I'm looking for something a little bit more nature-y. So Raleigh, North Carolina, great city, great town. My spare time, I have a lot of pets. I love animals. Three dogs, three cats, a guinea pig, and a turtle. I'll just mm-hmm. mention quickly that my one dog's name is Tripsin, like the enzyme. Uh, my other dog's name is Quark, Q-U-A-R-K, like the physics term. It means the smallest particle known. He's a chihuahua, by the way. Oh. <laughs> yes. Mine's <laughs> fitting. Yeah, it's fitting. And then I, my, my guinea pig, he's black with a little white on his chest, and his name is Ginsburg. <laughs> like RBG. <laughs> yeah, so okay. love my pets. And uh, I also love to puzzle. I'm mm-hmm. really big into puzzling and, and just being outside. Well, it was so fun to talk. So to fun. Yeah. Thank you.